Stub and you want to jet right now, go for it. For anybody who's ever uh, ever felt like they let God down, you ever had that that feeling? So anybody who's ever um, made a pledge that they would never do something again, you know, and then did that thing again you've ever just declared that you will always be this way. This will never happen to me, and I will never become this person. But then you become that. Anybody who's ever um, stabbed a friend in the back, uh, anybody who's ever um, been in a position where they feel like they can never, ever be an effective representative of Christ at work, because you've just been a jerk one too many times and you feel like your witness or whatever is completely, completely um, useless. Maybe um, it's for you if you've just kind of built your budget in such a way that giving is not a part of that, whether it's giving to the church um, or maybe just being generous in general. Uh, you've structured your whole life around paying off the debts of your uh, lifestyle. Um, maybe you feel like you could never uh, sit down with your spouse and pray because they know how you really live and that would just be a little too awkward. Maybe you feel guilty because you have not led your family the way that you feel that you should. Maybe you have uh, family members who do not know Jesus and you feel like because you have um, lived in such a way that is, you know, anti-Jesus for so long that there's just no way that God's ever going to use you to be effective. If you've ever messed up and you feel like um, God will never, ever really be able to use you truly and genuinely and you feel like you have let him down, um, this tonight is for you. Um, if you've never felt that way, uh, I admire you, but I have a feeling that at some point you will. All right? So if you have a Bible, let's turn to John chapter 21. And we're going to read about uh, Jesus' third appearance after his resurrection. All right. So two weeks ago, we talked about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem as Jesus is the king of a new kind of kingdom. Uh, last week, um, with Easter Sunday, we talk about the resurrection and the power of the resurrection that is applied to us. And so uh, this story falls, and it's kind of hard to tell, but about a week is what important uh, smart people think. Uh, this story falls about a week after the resurrection. As Jesus has, he's risen from the dead. He's already appeared, um, you know, a couple of times. This is the third time that, uh, that he shows up. So we're going to be in John chapter 21. John, you want to bring the lights up a little bit? 
No, you're good. You're good. You can leave that one. Little hand. Round of applause for Johnny B. Let there be light. John 21, starting in verse 1. It says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Um, now, let me, let's pause right there. I want to show you a couple of pictures um, of what this is talking about. Went to Israel a couple weeks ago, and people were always like, you've got to tell us more about your Israel trip. So I'm just going to kind of like drop it in different places. But not as a means of talking about the trip. I want to help you kind of get a context for where this is about to happen. Um, so there's just like four pictures. Nate's going to throw them up there on the screen. Um, this is in the Galilee region, okay? Um, not what I thought Israel looked like. I don't know about you. Um, I always thought deserts, lots of sand, you know, whatever. But it looks a little more like Ireland. Um, and uh, so this is on top of a, of a mountain that is overlooking the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, okay? Um, this, is, this is the Sea of Galilee itself. This is, that previous picture was on the top of that mountain that you can kind of barely see from the haze. Okay, that's where that first picture was. This is on the other side. Um, and so the entire sea is just surrounded by mountains. It literally just comes down and makes this big uh, seven-mile-wide, you know, sea. Um, this is another place. This is Capernaum. This is a little bit, this is like on the, on the north shore. Um, super pretty, uh, totally different than I thought it was, was going to be. Very green, very mountainous. And this is the last shot right here. Um, and kind of keep this in mind, okay, because this is uh, the general direction of where uh, this is about to happen. So when it says the Sea of Tiberias, it's, that's another title for the Sea of Galilee. This is where most of Jesus' ministry and his miracles and stuff like that happened on this, the shore of this big lake sea thing um it's not nearly as big as i thought it was going to be but it's still really really huge um it sounds weird but uh so yeah so that's just some pictures of kind of what's going on um take all the modern uh take the you know the modern stuff out of it and here you go let's go back to the text um now jesus has told them he's going to meet them in galilee okay so they know he's going to show up somewhere they just don't know where um verse two to Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. Okay? So first point, it is biblical to invite yourself on other people's fishing trips. <laughs> there you go. So the next time I do that to you, I'm living the text. All right? Look at the next part. They say, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Second point, if I invite myself on your trip and we don't catch any fish, it's my fault, but I'm living the text. Verse 4, okay? So they went fishing. We're fishing at night because that's when you caught fish in the Sea of Galilee. The fishing was better then, and then you could sell them first thing in the morning, and they were literally fresh. Okay. Um, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Which is another way of saying, did you catch anything? Um, and anytime you see other people when they're fishing, you always want to know how they're doing. And they answer him, no. No explanation. No, whether just no. Um, then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. All right? Now, so normally, you know, they're kind of wrapped up a little bit more, a fairly modest culture, but when they're fishing, very physical with all these nets, so they would take off some of the, their wrappings and stuff like that so they get a little more, you know, able to move and stuff like that. So he puts, he gets dressed and then dives into the water. He's a little bit excited about getting to see Jesus, right? John says, it's the Lord, dude gets dressed, jumps in the water, which I always figured would make it harder to swim, but whatever. Uh, jumps in the water, and then uh, verse 8 says, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, but they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. Okay, so Peter jumps in the water and starts swimming to the shore about 100 yards. Can't wait to see him. The rest of them bring in the boat, dragging this net completely full of fish uh, to get into the more shallow water. Verse 9, when they, get, when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Okay, now, sometimes people will make a big deal out of that number, 153, try to figure out what it means and, you know, symbolic of something and all this kind of stuff. And basically, um, where's Cody? Cody, how many fish did you catch this weekend? All right. People who are fishermen, they know how many fish they caught. They might not always, be, always want to admit it. Um, but they know exactly how many. All right, I'll give you an example. I went fishing with Kyle Hawthorne uh, a couple weeks ago, and the next day at church, someone said, how'd y'all do? I said, oh, we caught, I don't know, we caught a couple. And Kyle says, we caught eight. Okay? I'm not a fisherman, okay? So I'm like, oh, we caught a couple. Kyle, a fisherman, knows exactly how many. Okay? If you're a fisherman, you know exactly how many fish you catch. If you hunt deer, you know exactly how many points were on that buck that you killed, Right? All right, it's just, it's just a part of it. So probably the reason why the number was here was because they were so impressed with how many fish, and they probably wanted to know how many fish can fit into this net before it'll break. All right, well, at least 153, and so they, they counted them out, and this, you know, whatever. So um, if you ever read something that says, that's how many species of fish were in the water, and that represents the nations, and uh, eh, no. Okay, I'm not a scholar, but all of the real good scholars say not really true. Good point. Sounds pretty, preaches really well, but not really true. All right. Then in verse 12, Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. That's awesome, right? Fishing trip, bring 153 fish, get to the shore, somebody's cooked for you. Sounds good to me. I don't know. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
Okay, so there's, there's the context. Fishing at night, don't catch any fish. Some dude yells, throw on the other side of the boat, and you'll catch some. They bring in this huge catch. They realize it's Jesus. They come to the shore. He's got this charcoal fire there with food for them. They sit down, and they eat breakfast together. Now, just imagine the emotions, all right? They watched him enter the city, thought that they were going to be like his right-hand men. Then they watch him get killed in the worst possible way ever. Then they watch him get buried. Then he shows up alive. Um, completely, like, completely anew, and now he just randomly shows up places, and, like, here they are, they're with him, Simon's soaking wet, the other guys are dry, because they didn't jump in the water, and so, so here they are, they have breakfast together, and now you're kind of like, okay, now what? And now comes the part of the story um, that a lot of people are familiar with, and it is the reinstatement of Peter, and this is the part of the story, like, this is, this is the, this is the killer, okay, and you'll see why. Look at verse 15. Is when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Okay, now we don't know what he meant by, Do you love me more than these? And some, some will preach it to mean, Do you love me more than these fish? You know, Do you love me more than your job? Do you love me more than this that that provides you with money that provides you with maybe riches if you're really good at it you know whatever some think that he was saying do you love me more than these other people you know the the other disciples you know is your relationship with me more important than your relationship with them but most people think that he's asking him if his love for jesus is more than the other disciples love for jesus Kind of a weird question, isn't it? I, I think it's kind of odd, you know, because we don't want to think in those terms. You know, we don't ever want to be like, I love God so much more than you do. You know? That's I, I, kind, of, kind of weird, right? Kind of an odd question. Now, it's even more odd considering what Peter has been through, and we'll get to that in just a second. But that's what Jesus is asking. Do you love me more than they love me? And his answer, yes. You know that I love you. And then Jesus' reply is, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, now, why is that so gut-wrenching? Um, well, we have to flip back a few pages, and if you don't want to go there, we're going to put them up on the screen. And In chapter 13, Jesus predicts something that Simon's not real proud of. you got to understand, Simon Peter, like, he's the man of, of action. Okay? You have John who is, is a little, little more about understanding, you know, and he's maybe the, the logical one, okay? Peter is the passionate one. We all have those friends, right? We have the thoughtful um, guys who contemplate things, and they think through stuff, whatever, and you have the guys who just, let's go, let's go now. Why are we sitting around thinking about it? We need to go, we need to go, we need to go. And that's, that's Peter. He's a man of, of action. Um, and so 
uh, things are starting to get a little bit tense. And, uh, you know, um, Jesus has just washed their feet in chapter 13. He just said, one of you guys is going to betray me. So, of course, John's thinking, and, you, and we know from reading all this, like he's a little more like, okay, why and who's it going to be and all that kind of stuff. And Peter's like, no way. None of us are ever going to do that. And sure as heck, it's not going to be me. And that's what he says in verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now, what a punch in the gut that must have been, you know, for your rabbi to say, no, you say that, but I'm telling you, you're going to deny me. That the disciple who just said, I will die for you, and the rabbi says, no, you won't. You'll see. You don't, you, trust me, you'll see. If you look in chapter 18, Jesus has just been arrested. Verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. Denial number one. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. Okay, so they're standing around a charcoal fire. He just denied him once, and they're standing around, and they're warming, himself. they're warming themselves around this fire. Verse 25, the Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, you're not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter cut off, all right, there's your man of action, uh, said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and at once a rooster crowed. Jesus says, you'll deny me three times, and you will not hear a rooster crow until that happens. And as soon as he denies him the third time, that's what he hears. So they go on, they watch Jesus crucified, they watch him die, they watch him be buried, they watch him raised up again, they see him appear. Peter jumps off the boat, gets there on the shore, they eat breakfast. And in my mind, this is just me making it up, I wonder if things got like awkwardly quiet, you know? You know, a big, like, 800-pound elephant appears right next to him. Now, this story is where Jesus reinstates Peter. I've been really trying to, uh, to get better at, like, crafting my teaching times into, like, big points that can be understood. Because if I just roll through a passage, a lot of times there's so many, like, rabbits and side trails, stuff like that. You have no idea what I've said till the end. And even then, I'm like, I don't know. Let's pray. <laughs> and so I, I really was, was trying to, to, to kind of narrow it down into like some aspects. And, and just by asking God, God, what do you, what do you want us to take away from this story? Because you could, I mean, you could be here, you could spend weeks just on this story, pulling points out and, and getting into applications and stuff. And so I, there are basically three words that, uh, about Peter's reinstatement that I think God has for us tonight. 
and all the stuff I said at the beginning about if you've ever messed up and you feel like you've just destroyed your witness, all that kind of stuff, this is, these are three things I think that apply to us. Okay? The first thing about Peter's reinstatement is this, is that it was public. Jesus could have, like, after breakfast, been like, hey, Pete, take a walk. And they could have walked, and Jesus could have had that whole conversation with them as they walked. He could have sent the others on ahead. Y'all go ahead, we'll catch up with you in a minute. And he could have done any, you know, he could have done anything, but for some reason, this happened in front of the others. And I started to think about that. What's, what's the significance of that? Why, is, why was his reinstatement a public thing? See, when things happen in public, they have witnesses. And witnesses bring credibility. And it was very, very, very important that Peter have credibility because of the path that God had him on. If you follow his story, he's basically like the founder of the church. He and John are like the leaders that get everything kicked off. And so much of the book of Acts has to do with, with their lives and their preaching and their ministry. And, and God just, I mean, we're here because of this guy in a lot of ways. We stand on the shoulders of other people who stand on the shoulders of other people. And it goes all the way back down to these stories that we're reading about. And so his reinstatement needed to have credibility, so it needed to have witnesses, so it needed to be public. And see, Jesus wanted, he wanted to communicate to, wanted to communicate two, two big things. One is he wanted the disciples to know that he was reinstating Peter. That Peter was not the same as Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and Judas went down his own path. Jesus wanted the other disciples to know that Peter and Judas were not the same. And that Jesus himself, with all his authority and all his power and who he was, says, I'm putting him back into the role that I've called him to. The other disciples needed to have some grace for him. Can you imagine, just get that, just, you know how people are. Somebody messes up. What do we do? We judge them. We keep that record of wrongs. Kind of becomes our trump card that we hang on to as long as we can. Think reality TV, you know, when it comes down to voting somebody off the island or whatever, and all this, the baggage starts coming out, you know. So what if, what if Peter was, if he did feel that, that, uh, that forgiveness and that restoration, but the other guys didn't hear Jesus do that, and he starts saying, come on, guys, what are we going to do? And they're like, um, you're the denier. <laughs> you're not doing anything. You clean the fish. We're going to have a meeting about what to do. So he wanted the disciples to have some grace for the guy who messed up. And maybe, honestly, maybe that's, that's a big lesson for us to learn tonight. I'll tell you what, for, for a group of people who have received grace without end, we sure do withhold it from people, don't we? And sometimes 
Christians are so much more gracious with people who don't know Jesus than with people who do. You know what's ironic about that is that doesn't make people who don't know Jesus want to know Jesus anymore. People say, if that's what being a Christian is all about, I'm good. So I think his reinstatement was public because Jesus wanted the other disciples to treat him the way that he needed to be treated. Jesus wanted the disciples to know, but he also wanted Peter to know. He wanted to make that declaration in front of other people, which is really different than when you do it in private. It's like at a, like, like at a wedding ceremony. You know, you, you have, you have the, the groom and the bride, and they stand up in front of everybody, and they could make those vows in front of a, a justice of the peace or a judge or in a Vegas wedding chapel or whatever. And you can do that, and if you do that, that's totally fine. And I don't want you to think that I just condemn that because I'm not. But it is different, right, when you have people in a room and when the groom looks at his bride and says, I will love you like Christ loved the church, he's not only communicating that to his bride, he's communicating that to the entire room, to these eight goofy-looking guys in tuxedos next to him, whose job it is to enforce that covenant should this dude somehow forget that. That's kind of what Jesus was doing. He says, I'm reinstating you, and I want you to know it, Peter, but I also want you guys to know it. That I have the authority to put him back in and to reinstate him and to restore him, and that's what I'm doing. So that's the first thing. His reinstatement was public. You know, it's, Jesus could have come to earth, lived a really, really quiet life of no sin, and died, and it not have been a big deal. But his crucifixion was very public. His entire life was very public. There's something about things happening in public that God is all about. When we baptize, it is in public. Our church doors are open to anyone who wants to come in. It's, it's public. Your reinstatement of being joined back to God, separated because of sin, rejoined because of what Jesus did on the cross, absolutely in public. You have a Bible that every single day is a public reinstatement of your relationship to God. Then the days when you mess up, your reinstatement is out there in the open for you to claim and to embrace and to walk in. The first thing, his reinstatement was public. Second thing is that his reinstatement was intentional. The way Jesus did it was incredibly intentional, okay? Here's, here's what I'm talking about. You go back to Luke chapter 5. There's a story about these guys being on a boat, and they can't catch any fish. And then some dude says, hey, do this, and you'll catch fish. And they catch fish. And then he says, follow me, and you'll catch men. And they leave everything, and they follow him. Now, same body of water, same general scenario. So do you think maybe Jesus is trying to help them connect those experiential dots a little bit? I think so. Then, when they get off the boat, they walk up, and you know, Peter swims in, you know, gets to the shore, and what's there? But there's a fire. This is, this is one reason why you've got to love Scripture, is that it says it's a charcoal fire. And in John 18, 18, on his first denial, what did he stand around? 
charcoal fire. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, Kingsford briquettes or what, you know, I don't really know. But I know when my neighbor fires up his grill, I get hungry. And I know that after I grill, the way that I smell reminds me of my grandfather. Sometimes I'll just kind of grin. I'm like, I smell like Papa. What's up? Now, there's got to be, there's got to be a connection. Peter gets there and he walks up to Jesus. Maybe he doesn't realize it right away, but maybe he smells this fire and maybe it brings him right back to that denial. Think Jesus did that on purpose? I think so. Then he asked him three times the same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Maybe that was one for each denial. See, Jesus is very intentional. I, I believe he is very intentional here. And that's, that's an amazing thing about the Lord, is that when God is doing something in your life and in my life, he's, nothing's random. I say it all the time. God is not random. Nothing catches him off guard. But also, the things he does, he does on purpose. And the way he does them, he does it on purpose. If God knows us intimately, don't you think that he would use that knowledge to communicate things to us? Don't you think he knows your personality and your tendencies and your weaknesses and all that kind of stuff? Don't you think he works within that a little bit? I wonder, purely speculation, I wonder if he knew that Peter, when he got to that shore, would connect that charcoal smell to his previous experience around a charcoal fire. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus did that on purpose so that he wouldn't have to bring it up. Maybe. But I know this, when God is moving in your life, you've you got to look at the details, and we have to look at the things he's doing and understand that he is absolutely intentional about that. I've told stories many times about uh, my first roommate ever, and um, there just they're, they're came a point in our like friendship where we like parted ways, and basically I just was the opposite of Jesus to him. And uh, he sat down with a group of friends one day, and he began to tell us some things that he had been hiding from us. And I went into judgment mode and was uh, just kind of defaulted on some like messed up things that I had been taught and I had been come to believe about uh, being separate and all this kind of, I mean, just whatever. It's a long story. I'll tell you, tell you later if you really want to know. But basically, um, from that point on, this guy who was a very good friend of mine um, not only did we, were we not friends anymore, but I publicly treated him in a way that w- would make Jesus very sad. And he moved away and uh, whatever. And when, we, when I graduated from college, this was like before there were like all these social networking op- opportunities on, online. Yeah? Maybe they were there, but the nerds were just like just writing them or something. And, uh, and so... Uh, Anyway, one day, one day I get a letter from him. You might know, not know what that is, but uh, <laughs> came in the mailbox 
um, where Netflix comes, okay? Uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he sat down and wrote me a letter. And, um, you know, he apologized for some things, and he kind of got some stuff off of his chest. And uh, I was, like, so excited. I was like, oh, look, God has given me another chance. And I wrote him back. And probably uh, at the time thought I was more mature than our previous encounter. In reality, I wasn't that more mature. Never heard from him you know, for a long time. And uh, basically for years, I walked around uh, so guilty and um, just a lot of regret. And, and I don't think it's all bad regret. I mean, there's, there's conviction, which is from the Lord. Then there's guilt, which is self-imposed. And I've, I've worked through the guilt, and I've embraced the conviction. I don't know if that makes any sense. Anyway, say I'd like to say this. Uh, randomly, I get a Facebook friend request from him a while back. And uh, since then, like, we've, like, corresponded back and forth and stuff like that. And, um, it took me a while to realize that the letter I got in the mail from him was not random. That that was God's second chance coming to me. And that his Facebook request, even though I just described it as random, was not random. That something as simple as Facebook, where you, um, where where it can be this, it can give you this really false sense of relationship if you're not careful. At the same time, you can reconnect with people that you feel like you've completely blown it with. God can offer you second chances through something like Facebook. Silly example, maybe. God is not random. When we feel God um, pressing into us about a part of our lives, we've got to pay attention to it, okay? If you're in a community group, if you're here on a Sunday night, if you're driving down the road, it doesn't really matter what the setting is. If you feel God messing with an area of your life, um, consistently coming back to this one thing or really just like putting his finger on one area of your life and just kind of putting that pressure on it, you, we cannot dismiss it. It is not a coincidence. Sometimes on Sunday night, people will leave and they'll be like, you know, that's like the third sermon I've heard this week on forgiveness. Random. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not random. But that's that, so much of what of what we believe here at the ring is that the ball ends up in your court. So we don't do one more verse of just as I am invitation kind of things. I, you find me that in the New Testament, and we'll talk about maybe adding that as a part of Sunday nights. The New Testament, it was like, here's the truth, and people were either cut to the heart and they responded, or they just completely hardened up and said, no, I don't want anything to do with it. Please, please, please. Don't ignore the intentionality of God in your life. First point, it was public. Second point, it was intentional. The third point, it was missional. That's kind of a buzzword. A lot of church geeks like me like to use that word. And let me tell you what, it, what it's all about. There is a higher purpose. Jesus Three times ask him if he loves him. And every time Peter says, yes, yes, yes. 
And every time, Jesus' reply is, then take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Go and care for things that are important to me. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I have all these sheep. Now I want you to help take care of them. You know what he's saying is like, okay, you say you love me, then I want you to obey and to go and to do this. To live a life that is about more than yourself. Do you know what, the, you know what lies beneath that? Jesus is kind of saying, oh, do you love me? And he says, yes, you know that I love you. Then go and live a life that is missional. Don't wallow in your regret over what you did when you messed up and you denied me. I've got something bigger for you. Too many of us walk around with those, those chains and those burdens of our mess-ups. Jesus says, look, in, in front of the other disciples and right to your face, I'm telling you, get back to work. Man up. Get over it. Is there are more important things that I have for you. And there's some people here in this room that need to hear that very same thing. And I, I'm in that group. He's basically saying, let the cross be enough. Let me be enough. Let me heal you. Let's get through this. But don't you waste another day. Man up. Get it done. Let's go. You are reinstated. We got a church to build. We got a kingdom to tell people about that is available to them. We got people who are dead who need to be alive. There's only one way it's going to happen. Maybe you need to hear that. There aren't many days where I don't need to hear that. His reinstatement was public. His reinstatement was intentional. His reinstatement was missional. And so was ours. He's restored us in front of everybody in the exact way that it needed to happen. And now he has sent us out into the world. An amazing story. And I don't know what the takeaway is for you, but he does. So let's ask him. All right, let's pray. Father, only you know how to apply this tonight. You know where we are. You know the struggles that exist in this room. You know the baggage. You know where conviction is needed. You know where guilt needs to be done away with. Father, in these closing moments, we just we need you to show us. If we need to man up, then show us that. Give us the courage to do so. If we need to embrace your forgiveness, and we want to do that. We thank you, God, for our public reinstatement, our public reconciliation. We thank you for the way you deal with us. 
We know you've called us to live lives that are not about us. So help us to shake loose all the things that hinder. 